Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. My name is Ingrid, and I'm one of your hosts. And this is Ashanti, your other host. And we are back for episode nine. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) Welcome back to our lovely, lovely little station in the airwaves. So... Last episode, Ashanti was really digging into her experience. I was kind of poking her, poking and prodding at her with questions because I was really wanting to give a flesh out from somebody who operates in a lot of different spaces of intersectionality and what that looks like when they show up in practice. Um, When you can really identify with your patient just because of the fact that you are operating in a marginalized space, just like them. And I don't mean that it's the same marginalized space, but it's in the aspect that you don't feel seen. You don't feel represented. You don't feel as though you are okay the way that you are and you're having to assimilate constantly Mm. That sensation can be universal in the marginalized spaces. And Ashanti was really highlighting that above and that extra that a lot of SLPs don't always recognize is required for those marginalized individuals. And I'm using the term marginalized on purpose It really is to encapsulate absolutely every single person that at any given sector in their lives, they're looking at themselves going, I don't fit here. Mm -hmm. I don't don't fit here. What you're trying to do, I don't fit here. And I know I have felt that way at certain periods of my life. I'm sure Ashanti has because of her thickum status. Like the girl is... Dang, why you got to call me out like that? (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) You know, I don't belong on magazines, that's for sure. But there is a a distinct audience for my aesthetic. Just saying. And the reality is, like, people love that. We just don't have it be something that is highlighted, right? Right, right. It's not mainstream. And what's highlighted and mainstreamed in our practice is what continues to cause the marginalized group to look at speech-language pathology practice, meaning how we are doing our intervention and going, ah, we don't want it, we don't want it, we don't want it, because it's not really for them. Mm -hmm. And if you're not from an environment where you're used to people that are not necessarily the same, which is usually the coastal areas of the United States. Like I would say the East Coast, tons of diversity. Mm -hmm. West Coast, also a, a significant amount. Down in the South, across the United States, absolutely. Hey, yes. Spanish, all the way through the South. Like every... 
person that I've kind of understood in the South of the U.S., they're the, it's the reason I roll my tongues like a champion. Like I learned from these <laughs> individuals. Mm-hmm. And the Spanish that I've learned has allowed me to do a really good job for them. Um, and I really appreciate my relationship with um, the, the Latino, the Latinx, the Hispanic, you know, whichever space in which you fall and how you self-label when it comes to, you know, descendants of the Spanish and the Spaniards in combination with the Africans that were here and the Native Americans, you know, that nice little mix that makes up what we experience of the Spanish speaking community. I've had a great opportunity of being able to connect in that way and feel a part of that, you know, a little bit because my island, the whole thing is called Hispaniola, you know, I see Dominican Republic, you know, so there's that relationship that I have with it. So my intersectionality is really obvious. I've covered a lot of different spaces. So I have a a great deal of connection So I think about that a lot. You know what my biggest fear is, Ashanti? What's that? A patient looking at me and was like, I don't, I didn't benefit from this. There was no progress made and I didn't like it. And I I feel concerned when I like am doing therapy, 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 and there's no progress. You yeah. know, yeah. I'm recycling you- the same goals and- This is the thing that you highlighted about your experience with those students, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and what's, you know, for me that also the scary part too, is having someone after I leave a certain place, read my reports, read, read the IEPs and say, why is this all the same? You know, and, Mm. you know, from one professional to another, I don't, I don't want anyone questioning why I didn't try to go the extra step. Mm. Cause you just naturally assume that there's people that are going to do it better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. I, that's just one of my, my thing is there's always someone better. There's always oh, someone facts. better on God's green yeah. earth. And so that's, that's kind of what I keep in the forefront of my mind. Like, okay, I know I'm doing great, but there's always somebody that's going to do it better. Now, I've had some interesting conversations with PhD professors, other SLPs. I have heard about some levels of complacency with the speech-language pathology body as a whole. I've heard of cheating that goes on, especially in the academic sectors. I've heard of a lot of, you know, just give it to me simple. Yeah. Spoon feed me. Spoon feed me. Right. Because I've got so much on my plate. I got so Mm. much going on. I'm not able to really think in a certain way. There's a lot of um, dialogue about that. Mm -hmm. This whole like, oh, the next generation is like this. And I am careful about my discussion about the, the generation of SLPs that are coming out simply because of the idea of we conditioned it that way. Right, right. It didn't get that way just because of who they are. The academic environment maintained itself in such a way with its expectations. It's attracting and continuing to attract the same type of individual, Um, but it has shifted some of those, you know, pull you by the bootstrap 
SLPs that were fighting against the standards of a male-driven healthcare system mm-hmm. that were women's women driving forward speech, language, and hearing intervention, breaking moles and changing things and being a force. Now that we have a presence, that same energy to really now laser focus in on what's becoming a really diverse population is only presenting like it's coming from individuals that identify within the marginalized space and not by speech language pathology as a whole, despite its presentation. Mm -hmm. The reason I indicate that is because I don't know what new changes have occurred and how we teach speech pathologists to do the work and then how we push them out like our young little baby birds. (laughs) Push them out of the nest. Go fly. To take on the expectations of productivity and caseload. Yeah. Business model. And, oh, this is a patient that is outside of the norm. You are from Pakistan. I got nothing for you. Yeah, yeah. Like, I got nothing for you. Or, wow, you are deaf. Okay. I've got some things for you. Some, for sure. Hmm. Okay. How do I... Do I encourage oral? Do I encourage sign language? Do I have to learn sign language? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, you are severely impaired, like medically fragile to the point where you are wheelchair bound and can't even go to school. And I'm doing services for you. Okay. <laughs> mm. Let's figure this out. Right. So because those elements are not addressed within the academic environment, Mm -hmm. we're having a challenge in the professional one. Would you agree? I agree. I think it's more so a challenge in, um, you know, thinking on the spot. Um, And it's not to say that you have to go into the workforce and be able to solve a problem on your feet right there and then. But at the same time, um, just moments ago, you mentioned kind of that complacency or, you know, I think I've said, you know, they, there's this desire to be spoon fed. I have a caseload of X amount of students. Tell me exactly what I need to do because I don't have time to figure it out. And I think um, the first step in battling that attitude is recognizing when you start sitting into that attitude. So, you know, I know I've been frustrated myself, you know, having a high caseload here and there uh, to where there's um, district-wide trainings and they're saying, this is how we need to handle this. And, you know, I, in the back of my head was like, well, when you give me 95 students, I don't know which one that I need to, you know, prioritize in this situation. And so how do you expect me to do X, Y, Z? So I say this because I've done it. 
I say that we can't become complacent and we can't want to be spoon fed all the time because I've done it. I've, I've been guilty of that. So I think the first step is just kind of catching yourself and giving yourself grace and moving forward, right? I think taking your time and considering that the perfection is not going to happen in the immediate. You may not even know which students on your caseload require a little TLC. I'm going to tell you right now, it's someone that identifies with any type of marginalized group. <laughs> any. And that's, the cheat, that's the cheat code right there. If they are part of a marginalized group, you're going to want to take an extra look. Yep. And mm-hmm. the aspect of being uh, having a diagnosis, guess what that is? <laughs> a marginalized group. Yes. <laughs> You're now that, an outlier. Yep, that in and of itself. Yeah. You're now an outlier. You're now a thing that we need to align into assimilation. The moment there's a diagnosis, it's to get you into alignment. The moment you fall back in certain spaces, it's to get you into alignment. Alignment with what? Assimilation. How does that work when you want to also be respectful of that person's individuality? Mm -hmm. For example, my favorite topic, dysphagia. (laughs) Because we want to be like, I am responsible for protecting you. I did not push you out of my body. (laughs) I am not responsible for protecting you. If you want to aspirate seven ways to Sunday, I have to respect your choices. That is correct. And accept the fact that you are okay with not being in the assimilated aspects of a swallow that consistently protect your airway. I'm going to go ahead and risk it all. Mm-hmm. When you are not protecting your airway and implement some creative strategies to maintain not developing pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to do? Talk to the physical therapist. How much are you ambulating this patient? Because they need to move. Those lungs need to pop. <clears throat> if anything is getting up in there, I need them to, to <gasps> get it out. You know, I need that out of their body. I need them to be like aware when they're feeling congestion. Yeah. I need them to understand when their body is dragging. That's how I'm like, okay, no, you're not assimilated to where your airway is protected consistently. However, you have a diagnosis, you're marginalized. I need to care about your personal goals, which is to eat. Right. So and that- I'm going to I'm going to figure it out to keep you safe even though I can't assimilate you right. to perfect airway protection. And that's an example of going outside of the traditional therapeutic approach. You know, you in in that particular scenario, you're paying close attention to the feedback that the patient is giving you. They don't want to be on thickened. They don't want to be on, you know, mechanical soft. They want to eat. That's the feedback you're given. And so you have to work with that feedback. I know SLPs ain't going on no thickened liquids. Listen, <laughs> heaven forbid I ever end up in, in a nursing home, you know, 40 years from now. 
50 years from now. Do not give me honey thickened. I'm a, I'm a poor, I might not be rude and put like throw it at you, but I'm gonna go ahead and pour it out. I'm gonna smile at you. And the moment you leave that room, I'm pouring it out. I'm not, but I, S- no. But SLPs are so liberal. Like, oh my God, I'm totally going to do this. Mm-mm. I'm totally going to do this to this patient. If it Mm-mm. were me. Listen, free let, water protocol me all thank day. You. Let me free have water my water. Protocol me. Mm, I will suck on ice chips, right? That's what we yeah. as practitioners would want. We would not want white stuff dumped into <laughs> our beverages, stirred up and then fed to us. And fed to me with vul- a spoon. <laughs> when we're in a vulnerable state and Mm-mm. it's the lack of identifying with that marginalized individual yeah that keeps us separate and prioritizes safety over patient centering and it's a wall it's a really successful powerful wall that is unfortunately unfolding into a practice that won't move forward for the abundance of individuals that are really wanting something different than what we are offering as professionals. Mm-hmm. We're offering things that people, unfortunately, sorry guys, they don't want thickened. They don't want it. <laughs> they want us to do something else. And there's so many countries that don't do thickened liquids. Like, Really, they don't. So that's a unique and singular like area. That's a place that I have a strong level of expertise in because that was my career. Mm-hmm. But it was something that I took on. Your area was managing 9,572 <laughs> students. <laughs> and identifying, ooh, some need more support than others. Yeah. Some will respond just fine to the traditional approach. Some will. Absolutely. That's why it exists. That's a good starting point. But then there are others that just are not going to fit that mold. Absolutely. And we need to recognize the ability to say, how much do you value this in functionality? Mm-hmm. The yeah. classroom is a functional space that you need to succeed in. I'm not discounting that. Right. You have to assimilate into the classroom environment. There's just no option. It's not built for individuals. Right. Schools right. are not built that way. It's built for uniformity. Right. You know, this honestly, this this conversation makes me think of um a an IEP meeting that I sat in um this this school year that just passed. Not this one that just started, but the last school year. And there was an OT that was she is just the most, one of the most thoughtful. I've I've worked with an amazing, you know, just exorbitant amounts of OTs that are just amazing. But this one lady took at least 10 minutes out of this meeting time, which no one, we didn't mind. You know, this is, this is what we're here for. We're here to meet with the parent where they're at and, and discuss what it is that they want for their child, right? Um, keeping in mind, this is a medically fragile child um, that has been, reintroduced into the classroom setting. So child was going from homebound. Now child is healthy enough to go back into classroom setting and we want them in the classroom setting for 
um, purposes of just being around their peers and peer modeling and, you know, just get them out of the house, right? Let's get social, baby. Let's get social. Right, right. So the the OT was going through her goals, uh, previous goals, um, and saying, hey, so I see that the previous OT was working on uh, using utensils at mealtimes. And, you know, I wanted to get your take on that. And how do you think that's going? And is that something you would like to continue? And, you know, any not normal person, I shouldn't say it in that manner, but typically you want this child to be eating with a spoon and a fork and a knife. And that that way they're quote unquote normal in the cafeteria setting, right? They don't draw attention to themselves or whatever. I like well, to say normaler. 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 Yeah, yeah. And so a little normaler. <laughs> <laughs> and so the parent just she paused for a moment and I was like, wait, what is, what's going on here? And she was just a little bit taken aback by the fact that the OT asked her, what do you think? What are your thoughts and what do you want? And she, she, you know, finally said, I I really appreciate you asking me what I think. And quite honestly, if it's between my daughter doing X, Y, Z versus eating with a fork, knife and spoon, I, I don't care about the fork, knife and spoon. There are plenty of foods that you can eat with your with your hands and it's 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 socially acceptable. Hamburgers, fries, tacos, there's there's nachos, there's tons of things you can eat with your fingers and it's socially let's acceptable. Go to, let's go to Ethiopia, girl. We exactly. Everything is with your hands. Exactly. And so she was saying that, you know, that particular goal of using a fork, knife, and spoon um has been on her child's IEP for years. For years, that's another example of something that is being repeated over and over and over again, and it's not getting anywhere. And so in that moment, that parent was giving her feedback saying, hey, I don't care about this. It's not something that my child is doing well from a functional standpoint. Let's skip it. Let's get rid of it. And the reality of that is how can you really feel like this is a discipline that cares about you mm-hmm. when you aren't heard in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. SLPs, we all know. Nobody knows what we do. Right. <laughs> Not a lot of people talk about us. Why? Because we don't listen to them. Oof. We don't listen to them. Yeah. We don't show that we actually care to listen to them. We don't ask enough questions to inquire because we don't want to change what we are doing because it feels exhausting. Mm -hmm. It feels like a lot of work. It will. It's like going to the gym for the first time and being told, okay, we're going to go lift some weights. And you're like, I've never lifted a weight in my life. I'm not (laughs) doing it. I'm Mm -hmm. not lifting a weight. It's Mm -hmm. too much, right? But if you care about developing certain things and actually being capable of doing them, you'll start with the two pound weights. Right. And then get to the five pound weights and get to the 10 pound weights. But taking that a step further, if the person with you in the gym, if the trainer asks you, what what is important to you? What are the outcomes that you would like to focus on? Now you've got buy-in. 
Well, I'm gonna tell you right now, we are those trainers because we are heck hella strong, <laughs> baby. Heck hella strong. We're so good at this understanding of stepping outside of ourselves in what we identify with. Because I, I promise you, if you experienced your own therapy, how would you feel about it? Right. That is the biggest number one question that I want to ask any professor at the academic sector. Like Mm -hmm. if you were in your classroom, would you be engaged and excited about being a speech Mm -hmm. therapist and learning all the information? If you as the SLP are going out and there are some people that are like, I would love my therapy. I would think my therapy is great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We all have our days. We all have our days. questions because you look really bored (laughs) the glory of my practice is I laughed every day Mm -hmm. I had a great time I was laughing enjoying having an amazing experience getting them their goal by being somebody creative and dynamic enough to recognize What's available isn't the best for you. Mm-hmm. What are what is out there in the aspects of like what's better, honoring your interests or honoring assimilation? I had to value that every day to facilitate circumstances where I could push you forward where it was required and pull back where it was needed. And get you into a situation where you are not necessarily all the way towards the norm, which isn't necessary, but safe enough that you function happily within our society because Mm -hmm. there's outliers across the board that thrive, okay? Thrive. Hence the, you know, beautiful experiences of the thick girls that are like, yeah, no, somebody likes me out there in the streets. (laughs) And somebody likes, you know, even the dark skinned girl with the locks and the shaved head. And somebody likes the, you know, like we are appreciated and we're normal. (laughs) We're normal. We're not, not normal. (laughs) Not neurodivergent. It's, it's, it's not not normal. It just is a different way of looking at our society, looking at what can be functional, looking at what can be successful. Right. Assimilation all the way to the center, not necessarily all it has to be. And so I think about middle America where there, there's starting to be some improvement. Like I heard there were Haitians in Chicago and girl, I was like, what? Really? There's winter there. How did you end up there? (laughs) And it was actually a Haitian man that founded that city. Wow. In the the aspects of the architecture. Yeah. He was a really powerful individual. I'm definitely blanking on his name right now. You'll have to excuse me. But when I went to visit Chicago, I was like, oh, snap. My people out here. This is great. I was so excited. You know, I think that that's such a big deal. Um, You know, I think we forget that diversity has been part of this country forever. 
and marginalized individuals only came about because there was such a like narrow focus of what felt like a norm. Mm -hmm. And it purposefully exercised out anything that didn't present to the leading body, I guess, the leading body of individuals that that uh, influenced and shaped our culture. Yeah, it, it didn't. Um, they just they it didn't mimic it. the majority. It didn't mimic it just, the majority. Well, I don't even know if it's a majority, but it chiseled away at diversity to create a center image of what makes sense for everybody, and a yeah. lot of people are comfortable with that, but we really got, we really need to kind of go as we diversify in this next phase of our nation. Can we start like considering asking more questions? Cause that's really a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a really huge deal actually. And I want us all to think about that <clears throat> as, um, as practitioners, um, Point du Soublé, that's his name. There you go. Boom. Jean-Baptiste Point du Soublé. Because nice. I got that language. <laughs> anyway, this knowledge about the fact that there are different areas within our culture that offers us an understanding that different can create a lot of abundance. I mean, I feel that way about so much of the U.S. culture, the things that have seeped in that were outliers that were really welcomed in and then became mainstream. And that was really exciting. And it's something we want to allow. We want to allow diversity to become mainstream, whether it be for the deaf and hard of hearing where everybody's like, oh, look at that deaf girl signing herself with the, the, you know, the artists and the news people. Yeah. We can celebrate the deaf and hard of hearing ASL culture, learn a little something so we can be present for that culture. We can be excited for the neurodivergent culture. We can be, we want that space. And that is the moment you look at your student or your patient and they have a diagnosis, ting, ting, ting. That's when you go, oh, you're marginalized. Yep. Let's see how I can individualize it for you. Because when, when it's you in that bed, when it's you in that, you know, circumstance where people aren't looking at you like you belong right. and right. that you need to change and you need or, to adjust. Or if it's your child or your niece or your nephew or your cousin. Your parents mm -hmm. or anyone that matters to you in your sphere, how would you want them treated? Right. Like they need to get back to the middle. Right. They I'm going to tell you right now. My mom and my dad don't come at them with mechanical soft and honey thick and liquids. Mm -mm. <laughs> do not, do not come at them with some puree arroz con gandula because they, no, it ain't happening. Absolutely not. They want that alcapurria as crunchy as it comes. Okay. Mm -mm. We just want to make sure that this science keeps up with this population. And uh, we're really good at that as people that can spread ourselves almost above and beyond. And we would love for you to have conversations with us about spaces in which you don't feel like you can, because that's really the point. We're not trying to dictate. We're a resource. 
Mm-hmm. We're one of many. And we're going to talk about that in the next episode. Um, Change your mindset. Thank you so much for joining us through this one. This was a great talk. I know Ashanti was really living it up. I felt it in her like velvetiness. You know, she was just like, hey, yeah, this is good. (laughs) And I think it's been a great, great opportunity for us to chat. I definitely think that it was something we needed to have as a dialogue. And I appreciate you all for joining us. So until next time, we'll be here. As you know, MissEducatedSLP at gmail.com is available. Our DM on IG. Go ahead and give us a shout. And uh, until next time. All right. Bye.